live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Our Friday shows tend to be a little more fast-paced and perhaps a little more electric and eclectic, and this is no different today. If you want a head start on my review, and like I said with Steve, I'm a little bit behind this morning because I took two hours out of the morning and watched the Breaking Bad movie. The It's not really fair to say it's a sequel. It picks up right at the end of Breaking Bad, and I spent two hours this morning and, and watched it. I was doing some other stuff. So I'll probably go back and watch it again because I'm sure there's some details I missed. But I've got a preliminary review. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Some of my initial thoughts about that. And we're going to probably incorporate that whole thing into our Pop Culture Corner show coming up uh, around 2.30 this afternoon. But if you follow me on Twitter, I've got a, a link to a pretty good review of the movie and my at least initial thoughts of it. It picks up, if you're a fan of the series Breaking Bad, it, it picks up right where the series ends, literally. And then they have a lot of flashbacks that fill in in the last few episodes of Breaking Bad. And if you, you didn't watch Breaking Bad, I understand you're kind of lost by this conversation. But the last few episodes of the TV series, which ended six years ago, um, really kind of focused on the the Walter White character. And this kind of fills in the blanks of, of the other character, Aaron Paul's character, Jesse Pinkman. It's in any event, you know, I've got some preliminary thoughts if you want to check it out on Twitter, and I'm sure we're going to double back. It's sort of a launching off point for something we're going to do later on this afternoon. All right, got a lot of stuff to talk about, breaking news today. But first, I want to see how you feel about a particular story. We all agree that violence in these schools is a bad thing. We also all agree, I would think, that we need to do a better job of identifying those those kids who might be prone to acting out in, in violence. I mean, one of you know one of the big things is whenever we have a shooting, whether it's a school or whether it's at a hotel, anytime you have one of the these shootings, these incidents in a bar, or whatever, one of the things we always do is we go back and we look at the person's background and in many cases, not all, but in many cases, maybe most cases, you look and you see a situation where you say, boy, you know that this person was a time bomb. You know, why didn't somebody do anything? All right, we start off with a story involving a 13-year-old girl. Does she deserve to be criminally charged? Here is the story. 13 years old. She is in middle school. Presumably that is eighth grade. She goes to school in Overland Park, Kansas. She's sitting in a classroom one day last month. One of her classmates turns to her and says, which five classmates would you kill? <laughs> if you could kill five classmates, which five would you kill? All right. Now, that's kind of a eh, sort of an interesting way to start a conversation. But the one kid asks a 13-year-old girl, if you could kill five classmates, who could you kill? At that point, 
she extends her forefinger and raises her thumb as if to imitate a gun. All right, got that? And then she points at four separate students. And then she turns the pretend gun on herself. So got it. That's what what goes on. All right. Somebody sees her do that. Somebody sees her point, you know, form the forefinger and the thumb in the form of a gun and, and point it at a couple people and then at herself. She gets reported on the school's anti-bullying app. All right. Okay. Everything's good with this. At that point in time, the school calls the police so they get the authorities involved and she gets called in the police are there school officials are there and she gets asked about you know what what went on here and what did you do and she says yeah it's you know so and so lucy here you know ask me which five of my classmates i would kill yes i i did it i made the thumb and forefinger i pointed at them and then i four of them and then i pointed you know at myself all right i didn't have a gun didn't intend to do anything. This is just what I did. At that point in time, the police officer who is present handcuffs her and takes her to a nearby juvenile detention facility where she has been charged with a felony for threatening behavior, threatening the lives of the other classmates. Um, the police say, hey, too often there are reports of violence in schools and inevitably questions about what could or should have been done to prevent the tragedy. Threats in schools are taken very seriously and treated appropriately. So they decide, all right, yeah, we're going to arrest her. We're going to handcuff her. We're going to charge her. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, if it makes any difference, there there is a gap of time. It's not like... She's questioned by the cops a few days after the incident. I mean, the incident happens, I think it's on September 18th. You know, she gets reported on the anti-bullying thing. The police and school authorities start investigating it days and days later. So it's not like she did it in the cafeteria. Somebody reported her immediately, and she got arrested. This is something, there is a gap of time, if that is relevant. All right, she's looking at a felony charge for threatening. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question to you is, is this overkill? What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should she have been arrested or was there a better, different way to handle this? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. All right, let's get a couple comments before we go to the phones. Our text line, Adam says, you absolutely cannot charge a kid with a felony for something like that. Um all right, another text. It's unfortunate, but if we're not going to take preemptive action on guns, um, we're going to have to take preemptive action on people. All right, 414-799-1620. I don't question whether or not it was worth following up an investigation. Gee, did you really make your form, uh, your thumb and forefinger in the shape of a gun and point it at different classmates? I guess the question is, once you know what's going on, is this the type of thing that, that you're going to charge a 13-year-old with a felony for? Let's start with Matt in Kenosha. Matt, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. What do you I, mean, think? I, work in, I work in mental health. I mean, I have a very strong position on this uh, matter here. 
Are they one from first from a legal standpoint? Can you even really say that a specific threat was made? But even ignoring that for a second, I mean, is a felony charge and looking at doing part time for a kid this age really what's going to be restorative for her and keeping school safe? You know, when we have mental health professionals and better than most school districts now. Right. And a referral could easily be made to see, find out what's really going on instead of throwing the book at her. I mean, I think that would just kind of appease from a PR perspective without actually doing what's in the best interest of this young woman. Well, also, I guess I, I look at it, it's a 13-year-old kid. And, and, and yes, I think 13-year-olds clearly know right from wrong. And I think clearly in today's day and age, Maybe, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you wouldn't do this. But in today's day and age, it's certainly worth a follow-up. She gets reported on the anti-bullying lawsuit, so you whistle her in. You say, what happened? And she says, okay, Lucy told me, you know, asked me who to do this, and I, I that's what I did. At that point in time, I, I guess I, I think you, you figure out, all right, what was her intent? Was this just some kid that's playing around? Maybe you warn her, hey, this is completely inappropriate. Don't do it again. I guess I'm sort of with you. I don't see what having her put in handcuffs and hauled out of the school and charged with a felony accomplishes if she didn't really intend to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, one, agree 100%. And that's not where she pointed the gun at herself as well, which, of course, is a, you know its own warning sign in right. and of itself. Right. No, and again, I mean, thanks to see, and I, I don't want anybody to listen to this and think I, I'm encouraging people that I think that you should do nothing because, you know, I mean, right, it's, it's like standing in the security line at the airport and joking about a bomb. You, you, I don't know that it would ever have been funny, but you just don't do that nowadays. I'm not sure if you ever did it, but you certainly don't do that nowadays. There's some things you don't kid around about, but interestingly enough, I'm thinking, okay, is, is this really a matter that you need to get the criminal justice system involved in unless you can demonstrate some evidence indicating that it's more than what it really was, that she really was plotting to bring an actual gun in and kill a bunch of classmates and kill herself. And, and if you're not sure of that, isn't this something that maybe you you send her to the principal and the principal calls up mom and dad and mom and dad come to the office and you have the counselor there and you, you just talk this out? Because my guess is, you know, 98 or 99 percent of the time, what's going to come back is this is just a kid doing a stupid thing. And if it turns out it's that other one percent, well, then maybe you refer to some from psychiatric help. 414-799-1620. Craig in Brookfield. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Hey, I had the same situation. I was back in high school. I think it was 88, 89. It was when they were bombing Qaddafi's house. And uh, I jokingly, my, my teacher actually kind of looked like Qaddafi, and everyone kind of knew that. And I was sleeping in class or something. He made a comment that he was going to fail me for sleeping. And I jokingly said, oh, that's okay. I'll just bomb your house. Right. And everyone in class started laughing. That was a big joke. And a couple of days later, they pulled me into the office. There's a couple of police officers in there. And I was like, well, what's going on? And they're like, well, Did you, you threaten to bomb Mr. House. Wagner's house? Yeah. <laughs> Correct. And I was like, well, that was a complete joke. I was like, everyone knew it was a joke. I was like... Well, I didn't get a ticket or anything, didn't get arrested, but I did have to serve uh, in-school suspension for like three days for the comment. But I explained it was a complete joke and no, nothing malicious was intended. Right, and and do you think they handled it the appropriate way? I do, because it scared me, and I learned my lesson. I definitely never made any kind of threat as a joke anyway going forward after that. Well, right, and see, and I don't have a problem with with doing what they did. But kind of this follow-up, because, okay, you said this, we want to just 
ask some questions, and we want to make sure that you're really not going to go out and bomb the teacher's house. We want to make sure that you're just being a you know a, a stupid, smart-mouthed kid. But exactly. once you determine that, yeah, I mean, you don't need to be hauled off in handcuffs and you know look at a felony charge. You need to do what happened. You get punished, three days suspension. You know, don't I do it again. I agree. And and you know the funny thing was the principal even actually kind of laughed because he knew what the, the teacher looked right. like, and he looked at me and just kind of like rolled his eyes, like, "What were you thinking?" Well, ex- exactly. Right. Th- thanks. For, and you say, "Well, okay, I, I wasn't." Thinking. And, and see, and that's see, that's where I, I think we're losing a lot of the common sense here. And again, I'm I'm not downplaying it. All right, I, I understand in today's day and age that even at the age of thirteen, you know, you know what she did. I understand where that could be interpreted as a threat, and so there's no problem. Follow up on it, but but they hauled her off in handcuffs and are charging her with a felony. Let's talk to Melissa in Heartland. Hi, Melissa. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, I guess I. I absolutely agree with everything that you guys have said so far. I just wanted to add, were there any repercussions or was anything done for the child who asked the question? As far as I can tell, no. That's where my concern would be. Right. Why why would someone even ask that? Right. Yeah. As far as I can tell, no. Um, Certainly no criminal charges or anything like that. If if she got some in-school discipline, I don't know. But no, she was... It's the kid who made the, the thumb and forefinger gesture that got charged with the felony and hauled out in handcuffs. Okay. <laughs> you don't get that either, huh? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I, 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 me, me neither. I, I don't either. Now, let me give you one other dazzling detail about this story. All right. This is it's a middle school. So she's like an eighth grader and she is arrested hauled off in handcuffs and charged with a felony for the thumb and forefinger thing. All right. One week before she was arrested, one week before this happened, there were two boys at a neighboring middle school, same school district. They were caught with real guns in their backpacks. They brought real guns to school in their backpacks all right, then they found the, the guns. I don't, I don't think they intended to do anything with them, but they were kids. They had these guns there. Here's the dazzling detail. They were charged, wait for it, with misdemeanors for bringing the real guns to school. And what a lot of people are trying to figure out now is, wait a second, they, these two kids actually bring guns to school in their backpacks they get arrested, they get charged with misdemeanors, but the 13-year-old girl who takes her thumb and forefinger and makes that into the shape of a, of a pistol and points it at a couple, she gets charged with a felony somewhere along the line. And, of course, the DA's office and the school system say, well, we can't talk about this. These are all juveniles, et cetera, et cetera. Somewhere along the line, it, it absolutely makes no sense at all. And I'm not, and not endorsing the behavior of the 13-year-old. I'm just saying that even in today's day and age where we need to be aware of and tuned into threats and things of the like, it seems to me that you still have to have a little bit of common sense, and that's lacking in this story. This is Jeff Wagner. I admit in some respects I understand the frustration of Assembly Speaker Robin Voss. Now, Voss got taken to task by me and other talk show hosts, and and I've known Robin for 25 years, and and I think in general he does a very good job. 
I was critical of him for his decision to oppose changing assembly rules. There is the, this paralyzed lawmaker, young man um, out of Fitchburg. He's a Democrat. Um, he's paralyzed as a result of being hit by a drunken driver. And I think everybody knows the story. His name is Jimmy Anderson. And, and what he wanted was the ability to – this is what he said he wanted. He wanted the ability to participate in various committee meetings via the phone. And Voss and the Republican leadership had originally said no. And I was critical of that because the Senate lets people participate via phone. It, it's something that is now routine that, you know, you can you can participate, you can call in, you have speaker phones. We have this technology. It made no sense to me not to do that. And, you know, one of the things that Robin Voss said is, hey, there, there's a political element to this. And I said, even, you know, understanding that to be the case, it still makes sense. This is a rule that I think in 2019 doesn't make any sense. Well, OK, so they agreed to change the rules along with some others. And yesterday, Jimmy Anderson voted against the rule changes. And one of the reasons he said is because, well, I disagree with some of these other rule changes, fine. But also, this didn't go far enough. I not only wanted the ability to participate in uh, the committee meetings over the phone, which is what most of our conversation was, but I also, it's hard on me when the legislature goes into overnight sessions, and I also wanted them to ban overnight sessions. Well, that's a completely and complete and totally different story. Now, I don't think, you know, making laws necessarily at three or four o'clock in the morning is is the best way for the process to work. But sometimes it is inevitable and sometimes it happens. And just like I, I think it makes sense to allow somebody with a disability like this to be able to participate via phones, that makes sense. It's a whole nother thing to say, all right, we're also going to agree, for example, that we're not going to stay in session after 11 o'clock at night or whatever, because sometimes you might have to do that. So I guess when I see the reaction to this, I, I start to wonder, you know, did, did Voss maybe have a point? Was this not just a request and a desire to take somebody who has a disability and make life easier for him by allowing the call in? But was this, again, all right, you've given me what I want. Now I want more and more stuff. Banning overnight sessions is a completely indifferent, a complete different animal, and I don't think that the assembly should have done that. Do I think they should be an overnight session? No, not as a general rule, but sometimes you have to do it, and I, I think – I appreciate it perhaps causes a hardship for somebody who's dealing with a disability like Representative Anderson, but that's something I think that comes with the territory. So the bottom line is the rule has now been changed. He can call in, but he ended up voting against that provision. Now, there were some other elements about it as well that he said they changed some other rules that I didn't agree with, but the bottom line is he can now call in even though he voted against the rule change that he was in part pushing for. Are you willing to be in the dark for two months out of 12? Now, now think about that, because I, I admit I am absolutely fascinated by what is going on in California, which is more and more like a third world country. Now, we've talked about this a couple times this week, but it, it just it really kind of hits home. Last night I was at dinner with a couple friends and they their daughter lives in the northern California area and she has been without power since wednesday and they they say you could be very well be without power maybe well into next week they just don't know so what it means to be without power well all right you you know there's no hot water if you want to take a if you want to take a shower you want to take a bath 
you're in the dark at night. All your food, I mean, you essentially they had to throw out all the food. You know, you were able to, if you can find ice, but there's, in many of these communities, the ice is long gone. If you could find ice, you, you could buy the ice and maybe put some food in a cooler. But for most people, it was a complete and, and total loss. So you have that going on. As far as gas stations, you know, um, like for uh, some people are apparently like charging their cell phones off of their on their car. But the problem is... A lot of these communities, they're, they're shut down, so the gas stations don't have power. And if the gas station doesn't have electricity, well, okay, they're not going to be pumping gas. So you've got lines and gas shortages and things of the like. Now, the hospitals under state law in California have to have generators, so you've got that element. But in general, it's, I mean, it's kind of like living in the Stone Age. I mean, there's, there's no there's no electricity, and, and they don't know when it's coming up. Now, here's the background on this real quick, and then we're going to take some phone calls. The, the background is Northern California has had a couple major wildfires over the last couple years that have resulted in billions of dollars worth of damage to property and the loss of life. Big, big, big deal. You know, in California in general, you get these these winds. You, you have, like, the mountains. You have lots of areas that have lots that um, have, have lots of growth. Uh, by that I mean, you know, you know, dead trees and trees and brush and things of the like. And what happens is, so you got the winds. And if somebody, for example, you know, starts a campfire, that can quickly get out of control because the wind can pick it up and it can carry the flames. What's happened on at least one of the fires is that the strong winds have knocked down a power pole. The power pole gets knocked down and the wires, the live wires, come off. Right. That's why they always tell you if you see a down power line, don't touch it because it's live. Well, what happens is or what they think has happened with at least one of the fires is as the pole is coming down, the line is snapping. It sparks and that spark ignites some little dry piece of kindling or whatever. And then you get the 60 mile an hour wind that picks up that that fire and carries it through the brush and next thing you know you've got one of these enormous fires there's other causes of fires too sometimes it might just be a lightning strike etc picked up by the wind but it's a bad situation made worse i think by decades of california just not not being smart environmentally and going in and clearing out like a lot of the underbrush and things that could be used to start a fire but all right that's the bottom line california has a law which is essentially what we would call a strict liability law for utility companies. And it says, even if it's not your fault, utility company, if a piece of your equipment causes a fire, you are liable for the damages, even if you're not negligent and even if it's not your fault. So even if you have an act of God, a 70-mile-an-hour wind, blows over a power pole, causing the lines to snap and it sparks. Doesn't matter if there's no negligence. The fact that the wind knocked over your pole, you are liable. So right now, PG&E, which is the electric, the utility for Northern California, they're they're looking at like they they got nailed with like 30 B as in billion dollars in judgments as a result of a fire for a year or two ago. They're they're seeking bankruptcy protection. But what they're saying is, okay, if you're not going to change this law, Right. And you're going to hold us liable, even though there's nothing we can effectively do about this. Our response is going to be whenever we get a forecast for heavy winds, which, by the way, 
happens a lot. I mean, it's not like this is something that happens once every 10 years. This is something that happens, you know, once every couple weeks, arguably during the fall and winter and early spring season in this area. So PG&E, the utility company, says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to shut off the power. Because the only way we can guarantee that a, we can't guarantee that the wind's not going to knock over a power line. But if the wind knocks over a power line and there's no power to it, it's not going to spark. So it's not going to start the fire. But the problem is that means that maybe a million of you or more are going to be without electricity and you're going to be out without electricity for a long time. Now, right now, the huge blackouts. The voluntary blackouts have hit Northern California. There's a separate utility company in Southern California, but they're looking at now considering doing the same thing because there's wildfires in Southern California. Another friend of mine visiting her kids, her son and daughter-in-law, in in north of San Diego, and they're deathly worried, just deathly worried that they're going to have absolutely no power. All right, so here's the deal. You know, the utility company says there's nothing we can do. You know, you're going to sue us. We can't guarantee there's not going to be a fire. So what we're going to do is shut off the electricity. All right. The individual homeowners say, what do you mean you're going to shut off the electricity? We, we can't go on a regular basis for day after day after day with no electricity. And then, you know, a week later, you're going to do the same thing again. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should the utility company be encouraged to keep the power on, even if it means that there is a risk, not a guarantee, but a risk of fire? And the only, because this is the trade off. Do you want to be in the dark? This is really where we are now. Do you want to have electricity? Understanding that there is the risk that there might be a fire because one of these poles gets knocked over, or do you want to be in the dark? All right. Where does the balancing come from? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if it was you, you know, sitting in Northern California in one of these areas where, you know, they're, they're getting ready to black it out or maybe you're blacked out. All right. What do you think should happen? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it worth the risk of fire to keep the power on? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, seriously, I'm trying to think. I, I imagine you know you live in a community, and we're not talking about just rural communities. I mean, there there's some very populous areas. There's over a million people right now that are subject to this blackout, and that may grow every day. And they don't know when it's going to end, and the blackout's going to start again next time you get a forecast of high winds. But imagine if you're sitting there in, in your house and you're being told, okay, you have no electricity. We can't guarantee you when we're going to turn the electricity back on and even when we turn the electricity back on you better watch the weather forecast because three days later if it looks like there's going to be high winds again we're turning the electricity off who wants to live there brandon in milwaukee brandon you're first hello morning jeff well afternoon jeff good afternoon sir so why can't they bury the power lines well they they can't you know it's interesting you ask that because i was out to dinner with these these friends yesterday and and my, my friend alan was saying it, it, it is a massive undertaking. You know, you got to understand it's it's a huge undertaking. But, you know, and who knows how many billions of dollars it would take. 
But I would argue that maybe instead of spending, you know, all this money, for example, on their high speed rail out there, they'd be better off saying, okay, this is going to be our 10 year project. We're going to try to bury these, these lines and we're going to have a massive public spending thing because this problem isn't going to go away. No, and it's, they're always going to have winds. They're always going to have fires. And that's yeah. one prime example. Bury the lines. You wouldn't have to worry about it half as much. Right. No, thank Or Right. And again, I don't know the terrain, and I don't know if it's possible to bury all the wires. But, yeah, this – this could be, see, and this is where if you got leadership from the governor of California, that would this be a massively expensive project? Yes. But, I mean, this is one where you say, hey, look, we, we, we have to improve our infrastructure, and this is going to be this major commitment that we're going to have over the next 10 years to wherever possible we're going to try to bury these. I would also then couple that with, again, another major public at works effort to try to clear cut the area. I mean, part of, of this is just, you know, candidly, the, the way California has just allowed the, the brush and stuff like that and the trees to grow up. So, you know, you, you don't have any sort of clear cutting at all so that when the thing goes down and it sparks, there's all this brush that gets picked up. 414-799-1620. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Sue. I have a question. Is that true in Wisconsin also that we could no. sue the electric company? Well, there's, Wisconsin does not have a strict liability law like this. Because, okay. um, so see, in California, it's it's what we call strict liability, which means you, you don't have to prove the utility company is at fault at all. I mean, it's, it's not like you don't have to prove, like, the pole was defective or that the wires were defective. All you have to prove is, hey, the wind knocked over the pole, the line sparked, and even if the pole was perfectly good, just it doesn't stand up to 80-mile-an-hour winds, sure. it, do, it doesn't matter. So you don't have to prove liability. That's, California is unique in that way. Well, then maybe California needs to stop being so unique with their <laughs> rules and laws and, and fix that first and then go and try and put all these wires underground because I don't blame the company for turning off the power. I mean, they're going to go bankrupt because everyone's suing them because it's their fault, et cetera, et cetera. I don't blame them. Yeah, yeah. Well, right, and they have right. – thanks for that. As long as you have – I mean, as a starting point, and this is a decision that California has to make and their politicians have to make, that as long as you have this strict liability – the electric company is saying, look, we, we don't have any choice. You know, we're already, we're fighting bankruptcy because, you know, some wind knocks down a pole. We cannot guarantee that that is not going to happen in the future. number of people are texting me and saying, if you look at a lot of the terrain, it's just not even practical to bury the lines. You're, you're talking about rocks and over mountains, and I'm sure over a, a decent chunk of that space, that is that is true, that you just, you, you, it, it's, you don't have a choice. There's only so much you can do. So for for at least a vast majority of this area, the choice is either, okay, you have to understand that we have heavy winds, and from time to time that's going to take down a power pole, and there is the potential that that's going to cause a fire. Would you rather take that risk, or would you rather have electricity? Now, to me... I, I'm, I want the electricity. I, I just don't think I don't think you can expect a million plus people to say, all right, you know, we don't know whether we're going to be able to turn on the lights or, or take a shower or open our garage door. Or, I mean, they estimate that this closure right now might cost up to two point five B as in billion dollars. Just just this current one, because you, you've got people who aren't working. 
You know, that the stores don't have power, so the stores close down. You have factories that don't work, you know, because, again, they don't have power, so people are told not to come to work. We had a call yesterday or two days ago when we were discussing this from somebody who was scheduled uh, for a trip this weekend. They were going to the, the Napa wine country as, as part of the tourism thing. They, they got a call saying, well, you know, all these wineries that you'd pay to visit, you're not going to be able to visit because they're closed down because they don't have power. We don't know whether the hotels are going to have power or not. Um, I mean, it's going to kill the tourist industry. Uh, Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the West Coast. <laughs> no, no kidding. Um, you know, I, I think the, the utilities, I think that's the craziest thing in the world. They, they should be able to keep power up, and if it's an act of God, it's an act of God. But a lot, and you mentioned it earlier, a lot of it's brought on, too, by the fact that the strict laws in California against logging. Right. And people clearing brush that it's a tinderbox. Right. That, that that would prevent fires, but would certainly, I think, really mitigate the severity of some of those fires. So, right. Yeah. So you're thinking that they're, they're on 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 all these different levels. Well, yeah. You're like you say they're reaping what they they're they're reaping what they have sown, huh? Yep. Yeah. No. I I thanks. I I agree. And now I agree completely. And again, I don't want people to listen to this and say that I'm, I'm insensitive to the risk of fire. I, absolutely not. Eighty some people have lost their lives over the last couple of years in some of these big fires. But at the same time, I, I don't. I, I, who's going to live in a place where you don't know from day to day whether you're going to have reliable power? And the, the decision as to whether you get the power is is based solely on, gee, we're worried, you know, whenever the winds blow more than 50 miles an hour. I mean, that would be like around here saying, gee, um, every time the temperature drops below 15 degrees, you know, we're going to shut off the power. And, and again, Northern California, no furnaces. I mean, if you have if you've got, you know, wells that depend on electrically run pumps, you're 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 out of luck. You got that one flush, you know, and you get you got you got no water. I mean, it's. You you can't do this, and I guess see the governor. I think needs to show some leadership here. And the first thing you got to do is, I think you do have to change this law because if I'm the company, if I'm the utility company, and I'm already looking at billions of dollars in judgment for something that is beyond my control, because I I say, look, I I we've got these poles that are up in the mountains there. I can't guarantee you that one's not going to come down if we get a seventy five mile an hour wind. I mean, that's like saying, gee, you know, if we've got power, let's take Florida. That's like saying, gee, if if a hurricane hits, can you guarantee that you know some power line's not going to come down? Well, you can't do that. Can't do it here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know, and it's one thing if the utility company is negligent. If you've determined that the pole hasn't been inspected for a decade and it's got this huge crack in it, and all you need is a small breeze to knock it over. Okay, I understand that, but that's not what the case is. So, in any event, I don't know how this whole thing is going to play out, but. Winds like this are not unusual. So if you've got any plans to go to California anytime soon, you might want to check the weather forecast because it might be that you get out there and then you find that you are in the dark. And and this is Jeff Wagner. The the news is, okay, Bayshore Town Center out there in Glendale, the Applebee's restaurant in Bayshore Town Center And Applebee's had been in Bayshore for years and years and years and years and years. For most of the years, it was inside. It was kind of in the the shopping center, the interior shopping center. In 2014, they built a standalone Applebee's kind of on the other side of Bayshore Town Center. It was a standalone building. The, The news is it is closed. Right, so it, it, it shut down. Lots of stuff at Bayshore is shutting down. I would not have said this before it is closed, 
because, well, I, I wouldn't want to contribute to people losing their jobs or anything like that. But Jordan, who's producing the show today, that Applebee's is the worst restaurant, was the worst restaurant I had ever been to in my life. Oh, really? I, and I, I say that, and I'm talking about the standalone. Every, I mean, I, I grew up in Glendale and then lived in Whitefish Bay, so we'd go over there once in a while. The Applebee's that was inside was okay. But one moved it outside and they in 2014 went to it like the first week it was open it was horrible horrible service horrible food it was filthy and i'm like how can a new restaurant be filthy it was one of it was one of the worst experiences and again i understand it's an applebee's you don't expect 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 fine dining but it was awful it was just terrible i i, I couldn't believe how bad this was so all right i i figure it can't be this bad so a few months later Against, well, some of my friends and my wife, um, who who just we we all just read it. Just it was just completely awful. I say we should give it another chance. Maybe we just caught it on a bad night. So I'm getting all this abuse. Don't you remember how awful that was? And you swore you would never go back. And well, yeah, maybe we should try it. It maybe it was just new restaurant opening. Maybe it's got kinks. We have to try to take care of it. We went back about six months later, and I swear I don't know that it was possible. It was worse. It was worse, with without question, and I say this only because it's closed. This might have been the worst restaurant. I, I'm maybe I've been in worse restaurants than this Applebee's at Bayshore. I can't tell you when though. I, I mean, I think it was there for 27 years. Well, they the, for a while, right? Well, the the original Applebee's, like I say, was inside, right, and that combined. was okay, right? It, it was in, it was in the building. I'm talking about once they went to the standalone thing outside. It was absolutely awful. So it, it's it's now closed. So I'm not. I mean. I'm not contributing to people losing their jobs or anything like that. I'm just saying that based on my experience, my big question was, how did this thing stay open for four or five years? Because it was just terrible. So Applebee's and Bayshore Town Center now closed. I don't think too many people are going to miss it. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Melissa, I'm being, I was, I was talking about the, the Applebee's at Bayshore, the, the standalone yeah. place, which Actually, might be the worst restaurant I have ever been in my. Life. I, I, I don't, no. and I say that advisedly. I mean, I, I well, I, I say that advisedly, but I know, now I'm being swamped with <laughs> with texts from oh. people who are like on, on their anti Applebee's kick. And oh I, no, I, it's funny because there's a lot of people out there anti Applebee's, but I think um, they, I think they tried. They tried to do special drink specials that didn't particularly work, but you know. Well, uh, let me let me put it like this. Uh, free drinks would not have been enough exactly. to get me to go yeah. back to this Aww. particular location. And so it's uh, don't have to worry about it anymore because it it's 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 closed. Uh, it does demonstrate again how competitive the restaurant business is and you know, you just there's so many good restaurants that are out there that if you're a bad restaurant, you're just not going to make it. Yeah, you that, really that, stick out like a sore thumb, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. No, that's uh, and that that's just the effect and it's it's always the thing. I always appreciate the restaurants that have longevity because that tells me that they're doing they're doing something right because again there's always new restaurants that are coming in so all right let us completely and totally switch gears i know rudy giuliani well i'm not saying that we're personal friends or anything like that but rudy giuliani was the united states attorney for the southern district of new york um back 
back in the day when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office here. And Rudy Giuliani, this is before he was the mayor of New York, and he got the reputation. He had two reputations. One was he was a reputation for a, a tough, crime-fighting United States attorney who was willing to take on the mob, who was willing to take on tough causes, very, very aggressive, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead, a, a position that I, I respected and I, I kind of shared. The other reputation he had is he was a complete and total blowhard. There there are stories, and I, I, you, you, know, you, hear, you hear all these variations of them, but he was one of these guys that whenever there was like a drug bust or whenever there was a news conference to be held, he was the guy who insisted, even though he hadn't worked on it. I mean, the U.S. attorney is like the manager. You, you know, you direct people, and occasionally a United States attorney might take a case themselves. But by and large, you know, the cases are being worked by the assistant U.S. attorney attorneys and things like that. Now, where, where I worked, the, the U.S. attorneys I worked for did not have this thirst for publicity. And so if you developed a case and you you know went to the grand jury and you were responsible for an indictment charging 25 people, all right, and then there was news coverage of it, the, you, the, the person who had actually worked the case, you do the, you know, you, you do the, the press, you know, you'd hold the news conference and ask for the questions about it. Rudy Giuliani was not like that. Rudy Giuliani was the guy that, okay, he's going to hold the press conferences. And there's, I, this is, there's an anecdote that they tell, and, and you hear various variations about this, but he's, you know, at one of these news conferences, and it's a case that he hasn't worked, and he's announcing uh, that this indictment, and they've seized, p- fill in the blank, they've seized X amount of cocaine, or whatever, and one of the questions is, um, excuse me, you know, Mr. Mr. Giuliani, how much was the cocaine that was seized work, worth? And so, he turns to the assistant U.S. attorney who's working the case, and he says, how much was it worth? And the guy says about a million five. Giuliani says five million. <laughs> you know, it just that was, and, it's, and and there's variations of that. But but that's the reputation he had. It's like hey, it's worth one point five million. Five million. You know, he just kind of a again a, 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 an aggressive self promoter. Nothing wrong with that. And you know, I mean, I, I give Rudy Giuliani a lot of credit. I thought he did a great job as the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, and I thought he did a great job as the mayor of New York, cleaning up New York City. So I had a lot of respect for Rudy Giuliani back in the day. I want to be honest, I've lost a lot of respect for him over the last couple years. And this latest story, I, again, it to me, the, the latest story that's in the Washington Post, I, I don't care how you feel about President Trump. I don't care how you feel about impeachment. I, I don't care about how you feel about Giuliani. But to me... This story demonstrates everything that is wrong with government, and it's not a Republican versus Democrat thing. For example, and before I get to this, this whole thing with you know Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. All right, I, I don't know if there was any truth to the theory being propounded that when Joe Biden was the vice president, you know, he used influence to try to, you know, kill an investigation into Hunter Biden when he was, you know, doing doing business with Ukraine. I, I don't know anything about that. But what I do know is that it stinks. It stinks that Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's kid, was on these boards doing business with the U- Ukraine you know, when his dad was the vice president. To me, that that's a complete and total example of influence peddling. And I'm not saying, I, I'm, I'm not accusing Joe Biden of violating rules or laws or whatever, 
But, you know, it's like there's this whole group of people, you know, the the relatives, the friends, whatever. And this is not a Republican versus Democrat thing because it happens on both both sides. But, you know, who use their connections to power to be able to turn that into, you know, big money opportunities. And, And that's. Because in this whole discussion of like Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, nobody's nobody's, you know, come up and said exactly why what Hunter Biden's qualifications were to be getting all this money from this Ukraine company. And that, that's my only point. You know, and, and again, it, it's just to me, it's like, gee, do you think he would have really gotten these gigs on these board of directors if his dad wasn't the vice president? Which brings me to the, the Rudy Giuliani story. Now, this is what The Washington Post is reporting. And this is a couple years back. Rudy Giuliani, now keep in mind, he's not part of the government. He's not part of the administration. He is an attorney in private practice. So he has private clients. And I I guess one of his clients is Donald Trump. You know, he's doing a lot of this stuff for Trump or the Trump campaign or whatever. But he's like one of Trump's many personal lawyers. Right. So he's got a fiduciary duty. He's the lawyer for the president. But he's also got other clients as well. Here's the story, the way The Washington Post reports it. And just follow me on this quickly. President Trump sought to enlist then Secretary of State Rex Tillerson in the fall of 2017 to work with Rudy Giuliani to help stop the prosecution of a Turkish Iranian gold trader represented by Rudy Giuliani. Trump urged the Secretary of State, this was Rex Tillerson, in an Oval Office meeting to try to craft a diplomatic deal to stop the case against Reza Zarab on corruption charges in exchange for concessions from Turkey. The request shocked the then Secretary of State, said people around there. At the time, the Turkish president was personally lobbying Trump to get the charges dropped, and the guy... This guy who was like looking at these charges was represented by Rudy Giuliani. So here you have this deal where Rudy Giuliani represents this guy who's under investigation. Giuliani is Trump's lawyer. He's the lawyer for the guy that's under investigation. You've got the Turkish president who's trying to get these investigations stopped. And you've got all of these people ganging up on the secretary of state saying, we want you to use your influence to try to kill these charges. The whole thing just stinks. Now, apparently nothing came of these meetings and and all that, but there was the pressure that was being brought. And, And this is, look, if I'm Donald Trump, if I am the president of the United States, and let, let's take out the personalities, let's, let's forget Rudy Giuliani or whatever, and my lawyer comes to me and says, hey, you know, I'm representing this guy who's under investigation. I want you to try to help me, you know, get the charges against him dropped. The, the first thing I'm saying, if I'm the president of the United States, is get out of my office. You know, I, you know, get out of my office. You know, I don't want to hear about this from you. I, I'm not getting involved in trying to help one of your personal clients. You know, don't ask me to do that. And yet that's exactly what Giuliani was doing. And I think I'm, I'm not suggesting it's a criminal act. I, I don't. And I'm not saying it's an ethical violation, but it's this whole incestuous thing that's out there. And it's one of the things that I I think is causing a lot of problems for President Trump now that you have this line that's blurred. You got Rudy Giuliani, who's your personal attorney, who is mixing in 
with government business, and he's traveling around, and he's not necessarily representing himself as a member of the government, but he's representing himself as Trump's personal attorney trying to arguably bring about or change government policy, and in some cases, do things that are in the interest of some of his other clients. The whole thing just, it strikes me as being a house of cards. If if more stuff comes out, and again, I've been really lukewarm on, on this whole impeachment thing. As I've said repeatedly, I think there's a lot of questionable behavior that went on here. I still haven't seen an impeachable offense, but it, it doesn't, it looks all, un, it just looks unseemly. Whether or not a crime was committed or not, the fact that you've got all this like double and triple dealing and you've got your attorney who's out there trying to, you know, pressure other foreign governments are interacting with foreign governments, sometimes at, at odds with what the, the people who actually work for the government are doing. It's just a bad situation. And I, I fault Donald Trump for not cutting ties with Giuliani in, in, in the beginning or you know, giving him so much rope to, here, go out there, you're my personal attorney, go out there and, and do this, this various stuff. It's just this incestuous sort of relationship which creates one conflict of interest after another. Again, I, I still don't think at the end of the day you're going to have an impeachable offense. Maybe the House votes to impeach him, but I don't think he gets convicted in the Senate. But the more and more you find out about the dealings between Rudy Giuliani and these other people, that the, the, worse, the worse it looks. And I do fault President Trump for just not closing the door and saying, hey, look, all right, you're my personal attorney. I'm not going to have you go out and, you know, act as if, you know, you're the secretary of state or you're the Department of Justice or whatever. You're just the personal attorney. And it's a fine line. But the more I read about this, the more Rudy Giuliani just goes down in my estimation. Now, he's not going to care about that one way or the other, but I, I don't Rudy Giuliani and his behavior over the last couple of years has not helped President Trump, period. A number of people are texting me, pointing out other examples of people who used their influence to try to make money. Al Gore gets mentioned. Maybe, I, I, maybe you know, um, it, it's one thing. There's no secret that when people leave public office, uh, they often are able to take their experience and their links and their friendships and turn it into a way to make a bunch of money. And I understand that's the nature of the thing. I'm just saying that if you're the elected official, if, if you're Donald Trump or you're Mitch McConnell or you're Nancy Pelosi, I understand you got your personal lawyer. I get it. But when that personal lawyer is then... I don't know, trying to do things that trying to encourage you to do things that are going to benefit another one of, in this case, his clients. I, I think you got to shut the door and you got to say, look, we're not having this conversation. You know, you, you go do what you got to do, but don't come to me and ask me to kind of go out on the limb and do pressure to do favors for one of your other clients. It's just that's at least how I would handle it. And I understand I'm being a little bit naive, perhaps. I understand the way the real world works. It's just telling you how I would handle it and how I, I think at the end of the day, Rudy Giuliani does not help Donald Trump. And, and yes, somebody said, well, it's the Washington Post reporting this. But I've been watching Rudy Giuliani for the last several months in connection with this whole Ukraine thing and all. And there, there's a lot of stuff that he's peddling that just frankly doesn't make sense to me. It just it just flat out doesn't. And at the end of the day, I, I, I'm just I think that President Trump might regret 
his associations with you know Rudy Giuliani. But that's of course you know, President Trump. Let's face it; has had a number of questionable associations. I mean, you know, he he's the one that hired Michael Cohen. You know, the he he he's the one that you know used Michael Cohen as, as kind of his fixer, presumably because. Uh, a lot of these other attorneys he had said, no, I'm not going to do this. But you had Michael Cohn who, who would. So I, I, I don't I don't let off the hook. I mean, if you hire some slimy guy with questionable ethics as your attorney to do stuff because maybe you can't find other attorneys who are going to do it, that that tells you something. What do you say? If you lie down with dogs, don't be surprised if you wake up with fleas. Uh, I, I know we've been talking about this a lot this week as well because I, I believe – I believe this week is going to be looked back as a, a major disaster might be too strong, but a major situation in American foreign policy that we come to regret. And, and maybe disaster isn't too strong. And I'm talking about the pretty much unilateral decision by the president to take this relatively small number of U.S. troops that we had along the Syrian border um, who were fighting with the Kurds, who have essentially helped eliminate ISIS in Syria, which is a big deal, and how we have just, against the advice, I think, of Republicans in the Congress and Democrats in the Congress and against the advice of most people in the military, the president has kind of unilaterally said, we're going to pull them back. And as soon as he pulls them back, what happens is Turkey decides that they are going to now move in and exterminate. They're, they're going to go to battle to push these the, these Kurdish forces out of the area, and already there's been bombings, and already there's been at least dozens of lives lost, and now there's another concern about you know what's going to happen with refugees. What it, where are the Kurds going to go now that Turkey is pushing them? Turkey is hold, um, um, the Kurds are holding a bunch of these ISIS fighters that have been captured. They're holding them in like makeshift prison camps. Well, what's going to happen when the Kurds leave? The concern is that Turkey is going to come in and just let these guys go. The bottom line is I, I appreciate the concept that, you know, we don't want to have the U.S. military stationed overseas forever. But but all I, I say is, you know, we've had troops in Japan since 1945. You know, we've had troops in Korea since 1955. We've had, you know, troops in Europe, Germany, for example, since the, the 1940s a, as well. And given the fact that the Kurds were our allies, given the fact that I don't think people can think that ISIS is completely and totally eliminated, and given the fact that it's not this huge American deployment, just to suddenly pull these troops back and allow the Kurds to essentially be massacred by the Turks, I, it it sends the wrong message, I think, to any potential ally that's out there. If President Trump had been able to cut a deal with Turkey saying, hey, we're going to pull back our forces, but we don't want you taking military action against the Kurds, then it would be one thing. But there is no such deal. And now you've got a mess in this particular region. But bigger problem is, you know, how, how are we going to get people to trust us moving forward? Just saying. When we come back, I want to talk about the latest developments in that thing downtown that is called Tent City. Stick around. So very glad to have you with us. Melissa Barkley. Okay, Halloween is coming. There's a new Monmouth University poll that's out there. Um, they ask people, what is your favorite candy for Halloween? Like to guess which comes out number one? Well, I'm guessing Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay. Jordan, you want to play? 
num- pop- most popular Halloween candy. And I think it's like most popular Halloween candy to get if you're out trick or treating at the doors. Candy corn. Oh, not the one that you want, but the one that maybe Tootsie Rolls. Then no, 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 no. Oh, okay. It's it's what what people want. Oh, what people the want. Best. Okay, okay. Candy corn. Yeah. Let me re. Let me. No, you don't want candy. Nobody wants candy. candy corn. I'm gonna say Snickers. You're gonna say Snickers. Peanut butter cup is what you, I'm you said. Reese's peanut butter yeah. cups. You're right. Oh yeah. Right. Thirty six percent peanut butter and chocolate combo. You can't Reese's. go wrong. All right, but but honorable mention number two, eighteen percent Snickers. Um, number three, M and M's. So those were the top three. The other five candies in the poll received six percent or less: Hershey bars, Skittles, Starburst, and Tootsie Pops. Well, you so know the mini some- the mini bars a while ago, like the mini candy bars, they the, they shrunk. Remember when we were kids? They were like half the candy bar size, and now when you get them, they're just teeny tiny. <laughs> You ever yeah, they're that? called snack size, I think. Yeah, I don't. The snack size are too, really small. Okay, well, it's, don't you think? I, it's, well, I, I don't. I, I, I don't, don't eat it anyway. I've been, I've been, I've been. I'm not allowed to have candy. So that's if my doctor and my wife is listening. I'm not sneaking Reese's or Snickers or anything like that. That's in the past. But no, I, I can understand that. Good old Reese's peanut butter cups can't go wrong with that. If you're trying to figure out if you want to give something that people like, that's it. Reese's, Snickers, M and M's can't go wrong with any of them. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, it's already down to 47 degrees. Sounds like uh, we are in for a change in the weather. Long-term forecast, though, says that you know, we might be getting back to some warmer weather. So I, I don't I don't necessarily think that fall is completely gone yet. It's just for the next couple of days, it's going to be a bit challenging. All right. For really the last two years... We have had variations of this tent city that has been allowed to operate in downtown Milwaukee. You know what I'm talking about. It's it's the homeless people who've decided that they want to live under the freeway overpass or um, underpass in, um, da- in downtown Milwaukee. So you have it like 2nd, 3rd, 4th Street around Clybourne and things like that. It really started a couple of years ago, about two years ago, with people that started camping out there, and it grew and it grew and it grew. Now, last winter, it decreased in size a bit as the weather got worse and people decided they wanted to go into shelters, but it's never gone away completely. And it's it's been encouraged by a number of well-intentioned, but I think completely misguided folks who have decided that what they want to do is they want to enable the people that are living under the freeway. And so they bring in tents, they bring in food, they bring in clothing, so people don't have to figure out you know, any sort of permanent sort of solution. They have had some problems with it. Sanitation is getting to be a worse and worse situation. They've had some situations where there's been a problem with crime. But again, this is it has been growing. Some of the people that are there are there because of unforeseen circumstances, and they're just kind of between places. Other people, and we've talked about this before, are are homeless by by choice. They, they don't want to go into the shelters because they don't like the rules that the shelters have. I mean, shelters have rules. Can't do drugs. 
you know, can't drink. You have to be in before, you know, 9 o'clock at night, and you can't leave until 7 in the morning. Some people don't like those sort of, you know, restrictions. But at the same time, you know, it's your house, it's your rules. It's like with your kid, you know, you say, hey, you know, you got to be home by 10 o'clock, and there's consequences if, if you're not. So these shelters have rules that are designed to allow them to operate. I mean, they're not just like hotels where you come and, and you go. So this has been an ongoing problem as this tent city has grown. And like I say, it has been, in my opinion, enabled by a lot of, you know, well-intentioned folks who rather than, you know, we want to try to help you, you know, get some other place, but while, you know, but we're, we're not going to push you to do it. Well, finally, the state, I think in consultation with the, the city, decided enough is enough. And there's a couple of reasons that are going on here. First of all, winter is coming on. And I think all of us would agree, even the most well-intentioned, that you don't want people sleeping outside under the freeway, you know, when it's, when it's the middle of January. That's just, that's not safe. It's not good. Secondly, it's illegal. It's been illegal for two years to be where they are. There's a state law that says that that's trespassing. And we've looked the other way for time and time again. Now the State Department of Transportation says we have work we have to do in that area so that people have to be gone. Let's also understand the other reality that's there. And that is that you've got the Democratic National Convention, which is coming in July of next year. And, you know, we want to put the best face possible in Milwaukee. And the last thing that you want, just from an image perspective, is a, a homeless encampment, you know, within like half a mile of where all the convention activities are going to be. So you've got all these things, plus a myriad of other stuff. And again, I don't question the intention of the people who've enabled this, but I'm one of these guys who thought that we haven't been doing people any any favors in just allowing them to stay. So anyhow, the state has come out and they've now said, okay, enough is enough. You've got to be gone. October 31st is the drop dead date. You have to be gone by then or we're going to come in and we're going to clean out the belongings. Now, we had a conversation a couple days ago on this program, and my question was, okay, what's going to happen on October 31st when some of these people aren't gone? Now, they're working very – the United Way, God bless them, United Way is coming up with, I think, $75,000 to try to, you know, help the people that are there transition into something else and find some temporary housing. There's lots of these groups that are out there that are trying to work with this. But the truth of the matter is there are some people who just don't want that help. They they don't want to be told – all right, I have to go anywhere where I have to play by somebody else's rules. I don't want to go somewhere where they tell me I can't drink or I can't do drugs. There is a percentage, and I don't know, you know, you can figure out what, fill in the blank what percentage is this, 25%, 50%, 75%, I don't know, of people who have drug, alcohol, and or other problems with mental illness. And they, they just, you know, they, they need more than just finding a place to stay. They, they need fundamental help. But if you're not willing to... You know, ask for the help. You're, you're, you know, there's, there's not much you can do. So that, that's the backdrop on this. There is a meeting yesterday, okay, where occupants of Tent City have a town hall style meeting, you know, where they're talking about the, you know, situation and, you know, they're, they're, 
telling their some of these people are telling their different stories, saying, you know, I'm I'm not a bad person. I've just made bad choices. You know, you know, we're trying to help each other out. You know, we're kind of this family. But you know, there's two things that come of this. First of all, some of the people saying, hey, hey, look, you know, we're, the, the shelter option doesn't work for us. One of the guys quoted in the paper, 37-year-old guy, says he's been kicked out of several shelters because he says, hey, it's like being in jail. I don't want to be subject to rules that say that I can't leave when I want or I can't use the bathroom when I want. Well, okay, that's, that's a problem because, you know, places have rules. But here's the other thing that's going on. A number of the people who have known that they have not been allowed to be there are now saying, all right, we don't have enough time. You know, we we need more time. This deadline of October 31st, well, that's, that's, that's too soon. We don't have enough time to abandon the encampment. You know, we've been here for, you know, a couple years, and now you're going to evict me in less than a month. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And to me, this is a precursor of what I acknowledge, I think, is the most interesting aspect of this. You know, what what happens when, you know, three weeks rolls around? This is, what, October 12th? That's the day? Say October 12th. Today's the, today's the 12th. Today's the 11th. Okay, don't want to get ahead of myself. So today's the 11th. What happens three weeks from now when... October 31st rolls around, and it's time to go. Should we extend the time? Have we given people enough time to make alternative arrangements? Is it too soon to say you have till the end of the month? Should we give people another month, another two months, another six months? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. Some people yesterday saying, hey, we don't have enough time. We, we've been here for months and months, and now you're telling us we've got to go by the end of October. We need more time to make plans. All right. Should authorities say, okay, we'll, we'll make it the end of November. We'll make it the end of December. We'll make it March. Where do we go from here? Because it is apparent that some people are already signaling they're, they're, they have no intention of leaving, and they don't have anywhere to go. 414-799-1620, should we extend this deadline? We're back in just a minute to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620, Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. My, my thoughts are that uh, they should the city should do something with the uh, Northridge Mall area Build some kind of accommodations for these people. Extend the time so the city has time to build some kind of a building or something for them, and uh, do something that way. Make use of that useless mall up there. And uh, but I don't. My other part is I really don't know how to finance it. You know, you have to find right. that part. Yeah. No. Thanks. And I, and I guess I. I mean, I. You know, I. I. North. I mean, Northridge is its own set of problems, and I, I don't know that you're ever going to voluntarily get all sorts of people who are homeless in the city of Milwaukee, how you're going to get them out to the far northwest side and what you're going to do with them then. Um, and and I, I mean, Northridge has been allowed to deteriorate so much that it's it's I can't imagine how much it would cost to try to retrofit that so people could stay there. But part of the other problem, and this this is this is it, even if you have places for people to go, you got a chunk of people who don't want to go. They, they just, I mean, the, the guy in the paper, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I've been kicked out of all these shelters because they have rules. Well, okay, whatever 
government housing type of thing you're going to find, temporary or otherwise, there's going to be rules. I would presume, you know, we're going to say you can't do drugs. We're going to say you you can't fight. You know, there's going to be certain rules that you're going to have to have. And you've got at least a segment of that community down there who just doesn't want to abide by the rules. And, And that's all well and good. It just means how difficult this problem is going to be. I guess big picture, though, that this idea that we haven't been given enough time or we haven't given people enough time, I, I just, I, I don't buy it. I mean, here's a text. Jeff, they've had over two years to figure out where they're supposed to go. That's more than enough time. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think... I, I think that's the I think that's the case, you know. It, at some point in time, you have to set deadlines and you have to to follow them. Because in all honesty, I think if you say, okay, we 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 said October thirty first, wink wink nod nod, but we didn't really mean that, you know. It, make it November thirtieth, or, or make it the end of the year, or whatever. But first of all, you got this whole issue again about as a policy matter. Do we want to encourage people? Forget the violation of law with trespassing, but do we want to encourage people to be intense? You know, in the middle of of December or facing January. Here's the other thing: that the reality, I believe, is that it doesn't matter whether you set the deadline for October thirty first or November thirtieth or whatever. That the deadline. There's going to be a lot of hardcore people, and I don't know what percentage of the folks that are still there. There's going to be a number of hardcore people that just, for whatever reason, and I'm trying not to be judgmental here, they're not going to have changed anything. It's all going to be the same. They're going to be in the same situation 30 days from now or 60 days from now that, that they are today. It's, okay, we're, we're not ready to do this. We haven't had a chance to move. You, you have to set a deadline and force activity and then come in and, and clean it out. And the truth of the matter is also, I, again, with all due respect to the folks who've been providing the tents and the food, I agree with a lot of the homeless advocates when I say that, you know, you've, you might be well-intentioned, but what you've been doing is enabling behavior, which at the end of the day is destructive and arguably dangerous. So the... The state has set these deadlines, and I think that you have to, now that you've set this deadline, you have to live up to it. And I I think it's great that this is now people recognize it's a problem. I would have argued that maybe we should have been all over this, you know, several months ago, maybe a year ago. But but now we recognize it's an issue. You have the commitment from United Way to put money in. You have space in the shelters now. I understand if people don't want to go into the shelters, you can't force them in there. And, you know, if there's an idea to move towards some sort of long-term, more permanent solution where you can house people, I'm all in favor of that as well. I'm just saying I you can't delay the situation forever and ever. It's not going to get better. Will authorities... Will the state patrol, will the county sheriff's office, and will the Milwaukee Police Department, will they have the cojones to come in and clean that out on October 31st when inevitably there's still some places and people who refuse to leave? I hope so. Don't think so. But extensions aren't going to change anything. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. When just every once in a while, the PC warriors take it on the chin. Now, I understand that we live in this world of political correctness, and I understand that we live in this world where we we have to change stuff 
not because somebody is offended by it, but because somebody might be offended by it. Had a story yesterday. The the, the Madison Club, which is this really hoity-toity sort of private club in, in downtown Madison, they, they just went through like a $2.5 million renovation in one of the rooms. And it's 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 Georgian architecture is what this is. And in one of the rooms, they have very expensive wallpaper that um, is reminiscent of a style that was used in the um, in, in the 1700s, and it, it's a particular style of art. They're called singlets, and it's it's monkeys dressed up as human beings, like doing like on acrobats and things of the like. But it, it's it's a style. You, you will see this if you if you tour houses. So that they put this up, and then they say, huh. We put this up, and again, it's a style of, of, of decorating, it's a style of wallpaper. And then somebody says, well, you know, these are monkeys. Somebody somebody might be offended by this. And then they decide they're going to have to take it down, not because anybody is offended, and not that because, you know, people might not understand that this is a style of, this is a style of art that's been around for hundreds of years, but we have to take it down because somebody somewhere might be offended, and heaven forbid we wouldn't want that. Well, there's another story like that. The, the mayor of Charleston, West Virginia, uh, for years and years, Charleston has had, okay, I hope you're sitting down for this because I don't want you to be upset. They've had a Christmas parade, and it's been called the Charleston Christmas Parade. Tuesday, the mayor announced that it was no longer going to be the Charleston Christmas Parade. It was going to be the Charleston Winter Parade because... She was concerned about inclusivity. The whole concern was, gee, I, I don't, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't want people to feel excluded, so we have to take Christmas out uh, of this, even though nobody's complained, but I'm afraid somebody might complain. Well, yeah, people complained after she did this. Apparently, she was bombarded. Here's what she says. I truly appreciate all the calls, emails, and feedback we have received regarding the Charleston Parade. However, the kind of vitriol that has come forth since announcing the change of name of parade has been truly disappointing and hurtful. So in other words, people disagree with her decision, so she doesn't like getting the negative feedback. She then says, I do respect these individuals' freedom to deliver the message to my doorstep. After much consideration and conversation with religious leaders from all faiths and community members, we have decided to keep the name Charleston Christmas Parade. So in this particular case, this one time, PC loses. The mayor doesn't like the fact that she got heated emails. Well, maybe the answer to that is then don't do stupid stuff in the first place that's going to get people upset. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Rusty, do you have a a, a guilty pleasure TV show, like a, a, like a junk TV show, one that you're embarrassed to admit that you watch, but you do in fact watch, but now I'm going to make you share on the radio? <laughs> well, I will say, thanks to my wife... The uh, they always, you always blame, the always blame the women. All right. Paradise. See. I mean, it's one of those times where she sits down and watches TV. I watch and watch it with her. So, oh, isn't that sweet? It is. It, that's sweet. So mm-hmm. the, so you 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 watch the the Bachelor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you? I mean, now you're blaming your wife for it, but do you do you get like do you, do you like root as well? I mean, do you kind of like discuss this as you go along? And uh, we do discuss. And my wife likes to look a little bit into the spoilers ahead and. 
you know, it's nice to sort of psychoanalyze like everyone else does when they watch it. Okay, I have no frame of reference because I am proud to tell you I have never and and you, you won't believe the crap that I watch on TV. But I have never watched The Bachelor. Okay. I've never watched The Bachelor. I've never watched The Bachelorette. Uh, okay, uh, Jordan, do you have a do you have a like a a guilty pleasure junk TV show that you watch that you you acknowledge it's junk TV? I do not know. I really don't watch that much TV. Okay, I'm more right. of a movie person on Netflix. Okay, oh, fair enough. Now I bring this up because we have all these multiple screens here, and and I I don't get I don't get I get one screen. Everybody else, there all these other things are preset, but for me, probably my favorite junk TV show is Gold Rush, which is on the Discovery Channel, hmm. and it, it's had ten years. Matter of fact, there's some Milwaukee guys that are on this now, but the 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 general premise of the show is you have these people who go up to the Klondike and they, they, they mine for gold. And it's, you know, the, the original group that started out had no idea how to mine for gold. So it was kind of like painful to watch them. Now some of the people that have been doing it, they, they do it pretty well. But there's this, this group contingent from Milwaukee, including somebody that went to high school with my stepdaughter or something like that, that, that that's in this. There's some Milwaukee guys there. And I, I end up... I, again, I, I watch it, and I, I don't know why I necessarily watch it because I have no interest in gold mining other than you, you watch all the equipment breakdown, and it, in some respects it makes you feel better about your life because no matter what, what kind of crummy day you had, you're not in the middle of the Yukon you know, trying to run dirt through some conveyor belt that has a big hole in it. So that's, that's it. But, but I bring this up because Gold Rush debuts tonight. So, I mean, a two-hour gold rush, the season 11, I think, or season 10, whatever it is, tonight. And so, um, yes, I, I have to admit that I, I I think we're planning to go out to dinner, but I'm, I'm either going to DVR or whatever. If I'm home, I will be watching it. So, And, again, it's one of those where your wife just – my wife kind of just walks by and shakes her head and says, is this that – gold thing again and i said yeah and, it, and i mean it's the same year after year it's the same the guys are trying to make sure the plant you know they get the gold out of the ground before the freeze comes i mean it, it's the same thing year after year and I, I acknowledge it and my wife will just walk by and she will give me that look that i i think all women learn from their mothers that look that says i married a moron i just i you know i just I, you've gotten that look haven't you rusty there have been a few moments yeah. of uh, questionable right uh, it's like what why did you think that was a good idea why are you you're a smart man why are you spending your time just watching this this show but that's that's it in any event you know that that's what i'm doing tonight at least at some point in time in the evening gold rush you know that's that's why i had to watch the breaking bad show earlier on the movie today cuz i wanted to make sure i i didn't want it to conflict with me watching Gold Rush. So. I've never watched that show. You never watched Gold Rush? Oh, you no, never watched Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad? Never have seen an episode. You really do need to get out more. I mean, it's it's well, I mean, it, it's I think generally considered to be one of the greatest TV shows of all time, and I think I think you'd like it. Um, the the Bachelor or Bachelorette, I don't know about, but but you, I think you'd like <laughs> I think you'd like Breaking Bad. I mean, it's good. I'll check it out. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it, exactly. I mean, they, they're showing it on Netflix and stuff. It's. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll actually talk a little bit about the movie that, that came out, that dropped on Netflix 2 a.m. this morning. We'll talk about that in just a little bit at Pop Culture Corner. All right. I, I, 2 o'clock hour on a Friday. I'm still going to go where angels fear to tread. There was, it, it was an amazing thing last night. President Trump decided to have his first campaign-style rally since the impeachment train started to leave the station. Interestingly enough, he, he chose 
Minneapolis for the site. I say that because the mayor of Minneapolis is extremely left-wing. Minneapolis is generally considered to be an extremely liberal city. You've got uh, the the congresswoman, what's uh, Ilian Omar. She's, you know, from that, that area. So you've got all this stuff going on, and he decided to go right into the lion's den. Um, had a rally, the Target Center, which is the big facility, the downtown basketball arena, the big arena in downtown Minneapolis, had uh, the rally was packed. It was raucous. Uh, lots of people chanting and chanting, you know, some of the protesters that ended up getting removed. And if anybody thought that Donald Trump was going to go quietly into the good night, he, he didn't. It was a, you know, it, it, chances are you, you've probably seen, you know, some of the clips, but, but he came out and he, he went from zero to 60 in about like, you know, two seconds. You know, he, he started talking about, you know, corrupt politicians, the radical left, uh, bleeding America dry, knew that my election would finally end their pillaging and looting of our country. From day one, the wretched Washington swamp has been trying to nullify the results of a truly great and democratic election. They want to erase your vote like it never existed. They want to erase your voice and erase your future, but they will fail because in America, the people rule again. So he he wasn't you know, backing down at all. He talks about this impeachment as an effort to th- overthrow the government. He went after um, Joe Biden and Joe Biden's kid Hunter in, you know, quite explicit fashion. He went after the the media that he described it as, as you know, um, crooked and corrupt, all that sort of stuff. In, in essence, it was, I mean, it was Donald Trump at his, and in a full-throated roar, and it's gotten the attention once again of the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the different, you know, uh, press, uh, national press coverage that's out there. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. President Trump's strategy is in fighting impeachment and at the same time in moving and trying to position himself towards reelection has been he's not going to cooperate. He's going to fight and he's going to fight aggressively. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a strategy which clearly energizes his base. There's no, my, I have no doubt that everybody who showed up at that event last night was a, was a dyed-in-the-wool supporter of President Trump, and my guess is they left even as more of a supporter of President Trump. They left fired up. Trump supporters alone, though, the, the ones that are those dyed in the wool, you know, we're going to run through a brick wall to vote for him. That's not enough to get him reelected. All right. My question is, is this the right strategy and will it succeed by being aggressive, by being no holds barred, take no prisoners? Is that the, is that the way to get reelected? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's President Trump's strategy. There's no question about it, and there's no surprise. Full speed ahead. Is it going to be a successful strategy? Can it appeal to the voters that you need to vote if you're going to win? 414-799-1620 or avoid impeachment. So, very glad to have you with us. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mark in Wind Lake. Hi, Mark. Hey, 
Um, I'll start off with I'm not, I don't like politics and I do not like politicians. Half my family's Democrat, half my family's Republicans. I'm not a big political guy, though I listen to your program. Last night on Facebook, and I rarely look in there, but it's like seeing a play-by-play for a Packers game. I'm seeing people, good and bad, saying things about Trump. I don't know what's going on. I go to bed. I go to the gym this morning. Every morning, the same 20 to 25 guys in the gym, half Democrats, half Republicans, all of them are talking about this. I still don't know what happens. I get in that car, and I finally hear what Trump has to say. And I have to say, for the first time in 10 years, the way that I took that is I am sick and tired of all that I've had to swallow as an educated professional of what I have to give up and what the Democrats seem to be doing to us. And the Republicans never push back, ever. They've never pushed back. And finally, we have someone that's pushing back. And all the people I've talked to last night and today, they're all saying the same thing. So is it going to work was your question. I don't know if it's going to work. But I am, for the first time in my life at 48 years old, going to contribute to him getting reelected because I. It, it, you you it, like it, you like the attitude. You you like I, you like the attitude I, that you I, saw. I don't like Trump, but right. I like that he loves our country and he's trying. From what I see, from my perspective, and everybody I heard at the gym this morning, half were saying the same thing. He wants what's best for us, right. and the other half of the gym. They said, oh, that's not how we took it. Well, the, 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 politi- the, the people will decide who's going to be in office. But I have never in 48 years felt like someone's finally trying to m- m- bring our country back to the way that it was. So it, it, I thought it was fantastic. It was passionate. Okay, it- thanks for calling. Well, it was definitely passionate. There's no, there, there, there's no question about that. If anybody thought that there was going to be any degree of contrition or... Um, let, let's take a step back. That wasn't going to happen. Lamar, who's calling us from sunny Orlando, Florida. Hi, Lamar. And Jeff, thank you for taking my call. And sunny it is indeed. Yeah, we're looking at 46 degrees going down to 30. I will think fondly of you over the weekend. (laughs) Um, well, first of all, I, I I have two sides to this. My first side is that, um, do I think it's going to work? I don't think so because, you know, me understanding that most presidents, uh, even though I understand that presidential, presidents winning their second term is the norm, not the exception. Right. It's normal for presidents winning their second term, but they also expand their bases. They tend to expand their bases, which I don't think that he's done. Yeah. So that, for that reason, I don't think he's going to win. You know, this is going to work. But the other side of me is kind of nervous, and not for the reason that people think I'm an anti-Trump guy. But I'm not nervous because I'm he's one of these end of the world kind of guys. I'm not that 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 crazy. But I think that if if he's able to you know, ramp up the rhetoric to this to this level and be so negative and win an election, what precedent does that set moving forward? Yeah. That's what makes me nervous because like Trump or hate Trump, the thing that I dislike the most, I would much rather be having a conversation about his policies instead of all of this other stuff that he does that is so annoying and distracting. And quite frankly, I don't think it represents us in a positive light. Yeah, no, well, there's no question. The, the, the whole dynamic of politics has changed. And I don't I don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. I mean, I don't know if this is going to be the new norm where it, it's just the, the blood sport, where it doesn't matter who's in power, the, the other side's going to be investigating, you know, they're going to be using all the powers that they can. I that, Thanks for calling, Lamar. That may very well be what the new norm is going to be. You raise a very, very interesting point. It's something for people to, to consider. Normally, presidents, and I'll give you two examples. 
Richard Nixon in 1968 won a very, very close. And I look, I I understand it's a different time now. So, but but just from a a recent, relatively recent history perspective, Richard Nixon in 1968 won a a very very narrow victory over Hubert Humphrey and George Wallace, and um. When he ran for re-election in 72, despite the backdrop of the Vietnam War, now the Democrats ran a very weak candidate in George McGovern, but, but what happened was Nixon was able to expand his base, and he cruises to re-election after a close election. Uh, Ronald Reagan won a relatively narrow victory in 1980 over Jimmy Carter. And by the time he runs in 1984, he carries every state except Minneapolis, Minnesota, I want to say, which is where Walter Mondale's opponent was from. So those were two examples of people who won close elections and expanded their base. To your point, Lamar, you have uh, President Trump who won a very, very close election. It's kind of a it's it just, you know, he, the, the, the states fell just the right way for him to get the votes he needed. So you have a very, very narrow electoral win. And I don't know that he has expanded his matter of fact, I, I don't think he's expanded his base. If anything, I think you can say that that base of support has contracted. Now, does that mean it's contracted enough to lose the states he won before? Don't know. That's too soon to tell that. But if anything, I, I think there were some people who said, we don't like Hillary Clinton, so we're going to vote for Trump. And, and perhaps now they've kind of soured on Trump. That's going to be the challenge that he has. And I guess the question is going to be that this aggressive, in-your-face sort of style, is it going to bring people into the fold? Like our first caller who said, oh, I'm, I'm kind of turned on by Trump because he's, he's doing this stuff now. Or is it just going to further marginalize him? Let's talk to uh, David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, so really quickly, I, I really think, you know, with him being bombastic and everything, I mean, it looks ugly. However, keep in mind, Jeff, I mean, look at what happened to Brett Kavanaugh. Yep. You know, nice man. I mean, he was just swung through the ringer and then some. Yep. And I hate to tell you this. I, I call a lot of different stations, both conservative and liberal, and if you go on the other side of the aisle, I mean, the, the rhetoric, the hatred yep. that they have for us is is off the charts. Yep. And and so I think in, 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 in that sense, I don't think he really has a choice because if you really look at it, they've been trying to, you know, smear him since day one. Yep. And, and unfortunately, we do live in a time period where it is all about, you know, like I call it Kabuki theater and, uh, you know, how do you get everybody riled up? And unfortunately, you know, in the process to Lamar's point though, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's lost there as far as like, what is actually happening? What is he actually doing? That's good. What's actually, what is he doing? that's bad. And at at the end of the day, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough call. As to how that all plays out. Well, well, I mean, I, I, David, I, I, as I as I have been saying repeatedly, people say, "Is he going to win?" And I, I just I don't know. And, and again, I always give the caveat: I didn't see him winning in 2016, so I, I always disclose that. I think, as I keep saying, a lot depends on on what the Democrats end up doing. Who do they nominate? If you nominate a, a center left candidate like a Joe Biden, maybe not Joe Biden, but like a Joe Biden. 
Well, then it's one thing. If you nominate, if the Democrats nominate a far left-wing candidate, an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders, somebody who is hell-bent on just reshuffling American society in a big way, I think it's a different dynamic because then the election becomes not about whether or not you like Donald Trump. It becomes about whether or not you really want to do what Elizabeth Warren wants to do over the next four years. Do you want to uh, eliminate the private health insurance industry? Do you, you know, want to declare war on the banks and the big companies? Is that really where we are? Uh, we'll see. This is Jeff Wagner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Fem Rejuvenation Clinic. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. All right, let's have a little bit of fun. Um, two interesting developments today, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, 2 o'clock this morning on Netflix, the Breaking Bad movie uh, debut and and I watched it early this morning it it's on Netflix it's going to be on um I think AMC uh, several months from now I think if you don't have Netflix it's also in a couple of the theaters watched it this morning I I sent out my kind of quick review on it if you follow me on Twitter it's at Jeff Wagner 620 um I, I here here's what I thought they they call it you know Breaking Bad El Camino and and what it does is it picks up the story right after the the Breaking Bad series ended 6 years ago and this one focuses on the second character Jesse Pinkman you had the Walter White character and now you have the Jesse Pinkman character and this kind of fills in a little bit of the the last couple months of what happened to him and then it it shows moving forward where where he is um again I I watched it it's sort of well, I was trying to work at the same time, and I was trying to do some other stuff, so I didn't focus intently on it. But in general, I, I liken this movie to kind of like the recent Deadwood movie that came out on HBO that, that reunited a large chunk of the cast of that TV show. I, I thought El Camino, I thought the movie, it's a great wrap-up to a great TV series. And what was really fun is there's a whole bunch of of cameos they they have a, a number of people that were in the Breaking Bad that that they they bring back, including some characters who were killed off during the series, and they bring them back in flashbacks. It, it's it's just it's a fun it's a fun thing to watch. Some of the characters are obscure, and like I say, tonight I, I want to I want to watch it again because I'm sure there's stuff that I'm going to see that I kind of missed the first time. But I highly recommend it, and it, it's a TV show that reminds me of how much I I missed Breaking Bad and what a good TV show it was. Now, at the same time Breaking Bad is dropping today, there is another TV show that's um, having new life in the movies. Let me just give you a a little hint here. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky, the Adams family. The house is a museum when people come to see them. They really are the Scream, the Adams Family. Now, you might, you might not be old enough to remember the first time that that appeared. That's, of course, ABC ran the Adams Family in black and white. It was a TV show based on cartoons from the New Yorker. Ran in nine, two years, 1964 to 65 and 65 to 66. So it ran two years, 60 plus episodes, but it has lived 
in syndication since it went off the air in 1966. It has spawned multiple Adams Family live movies over the last, you know, several years. It's it's just never really gone away. And I bring that up because today um, there's a new Adams Family movie that's out. It's a it's an animated movie. It uses that kind of action capture stuff that's there, like the Nightmare Before Christmas. But the Adams Family is coming back. So you have Breaking Bad that was at least revived in the form of a of a movie to give it a little bit of closure. You have the Adams Family that's again coming back another tv show that's being revived again for for film and i thought you know given the fact that all this is going on for pop culture corner we're going to have a little bit of fun i i want to talk about tv shows and some of them you know when they end they end and they've kind of run their course others end too soon others even if it's a likely conclusion, sometimes you still say, boy, I, I want more. So I thought we'd have a little bit of fun with the Return of Breaking Bad and the Adams Family movies. And again, I understand they're movies, not necessarily a TV show, but in some cases they're derived from the TV shows. Here's my question. What TV show would you love to see brought back? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It could be a TV show from the 50s or 60s. It could be a TV show from the 90s. It could be something that got canceled a year or two ago. It could be a TV show that was on one of the major networks. It could be a show that was streamed on you know one of the cable networks. Whatever. A TV show that you would love to see brought back and that you would love to watch new episodes of. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I always say during this segment, uh, call early. We, our phone lines tend to jam up. The text line gets swamped as well. And um, go with your first instinct. Sometimes people tend to overthink it. A TV show that you would love to see brought back. 414-799-1620. Jordan is lining up the calls we discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Touched a nerve with this one. Um, here's a couple texts just before we go to the phones. Get Smart. Yeah, the old Don Adams show. Certainly remember that. Uh, Game of Thrones. I'd like to see more of that. All in the Family. Here's one, um, a revised version, an updated version of Hill Street Blues. I, I, I think Hill Street Blues is... It's if you watch them now, they're dated, but it was at the time one of the really good TV shows of all time. Include I'd, and I'd lump that in St. Elsewhere. I was a big fan of that. Byron in West Dallas. Byron, you're on WTMJ. What would you like to see brought back? I would love to see um, them redo Frasier. I'm sorry, would Frasier? Frasier, yeah, Doctor yeah. Crane. Oh yep. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Kelsey Grammer. I, I told the story a while back. I was in Colorado this summer, and I we were outside of Vail, and we're driving down the mountain. And one of the guys I'm with says, "See that house over there? Kelsey Grammer bought that house." And I said, "Does he live there now?" He said, "No, his wife got it in the divorce." But it looked it was a really <laughs> nice house. And so, yeah, I, I like Frasier. Did you like Did you like Frasier better than you like Cheers? I, I did, yes, I did. I watched both, but Fraser was one of my more favorites. Yeah, got it. No, thanks. For, and I think that would be just as timely. I mean, you could, uh, of course, uh, the the father, the character whose name is escaping me right now, the, the Martin, the dad. Um, the, he, the actor, passed away. But you know, you could perhaps, you know, you could move on. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Nancy in Kenosha. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Hi, Nancy. Uh, I would like to see Northern Exposure come back. I loved that show. You know, that that was kind of an obscure program, and it took me a little while to get into it, but 
but I did. I, I was, it was just so odd, but I, it really it caught my fancy. It, mine too. I have the whole collection, and I've watched them probably five times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From yep. beginning to end, it was just so different. It, it was right. It was it was different, and and some of the episodes you kind of think, what was this all about? But no, the the <laughs> idea of the New York doctor, you know, stuck in a little town in Alaska. Right. No, I I thanks. So. I I agree, and it was it was just so odd. Matter of fact, I think Northern Exposure would appeal to today's sensibilities. Brett in Green Bay. Brett, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. My You're- vote would be for the Wonder Years. Um, I'm right around the same age as Fred Savage, and it would be interesting to see the show brought back now with them being older and being uh, having kids and being parents themselves now. Oh, you'd update. Okay, you wouldn't, like, recreate it. You'd say, okay, I want to see where these characters are now. <laughs> have them deal yeah, with absolutely. it, huh? Yeah, yeah. that would be interesting. Did you have a crush on Winnie Cooper? Uh, yes, yes, I did. Don't I, tell my wife that. Okay, but, yeah. but that, uh, yeah, I, I, I did too. No, <laughs> thanks for the call. I, I did too. It's kind of like, uh, the, the other show, Wonder Years was better than that 70s show, but, I mean, that was, that was my age, you know? I mean, I, I was, I, you'd sit there and you'd, you'd see characters in that 70s show and you say, that, that's me and that's, that's my buddy so and so and that's my friend so and so. We, you know, it was just, uh, it, it ran its course, and of course, with that '70s show, you had these actors who were playing kids who were supposed to be 19, and the actors are all 35, and that does kind of catch up to you after a while. But I loved the Wonder Years as well, and I think that would be one that would show up too. Let's talk to Russell in Brookfield. Russell, you're on WTMJ. Hey, my favorite would be ER. Okay, um, I love ER. It was a great show, and uh, I love the stars and whatever, and the stories, and it was. A, I thought it was a great show. Did you, uh, you know, it, it, would you like to see it, if they brought it back, would you like to see it go back to, like, kind of the, the original cast, you know, the, the Julianne Margulies oh, yeah. and George Clooney? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be, because they kind of made it whatever, you know. They they are the show. So, yes, you can put new actors in there and blah, blah, blah. Right. But um, I think they are the show. And regarding a guy who looked like Frazier, I watch it at night at, like, 11 o'clock on one of the Spectrum channels. Yeah. Spectrum. That, so. Right. No. It. No. It. Thanks. No. It's. It's. I mean, these, these things are all out there. That. That's the great stuff, and that's the great stuff about the streaming service as well. Which is one of the reasons, actually, kind of prompted this this topic because you, you can binge watch a, a lot of the shows. A number of people on our text line are mentioning The Office, and I. I confess the other day, just in a different context, I've never watched The Office, and I, I don't know how I haven't, but I am committed that I'm going to. As soon as I have a little bit of time, I'm going to sit down and and watch a bunch of them. My wife said, well, maybe I'll do that with you. So give us some TV to watch together. 414-799-1620. Jason in Milwaukee. Hi, Jason. Hey, how's it going? Real well. Okay, a TV show you'd love to see brought back. Okay, now I'm going way back, so just bear with me. Okay. It was a TV series called V. Yeah. Visitors. Sure. And and didn't they, yeah, they did. And then didn't they do a remake of that a while back, too? I don't know about that, but I think it would be great because... If you remember in the TV show, they were they were an alien colony, but they looked like humans. But they right. were stealing all of our resources from the Earth. Right. And there, there was a resistance trying to fight them, and of course they're trying to become the new government. I think it would be great if they did something like that. I'm not. I remember being about eight, nine years old and being absolutely terrified of that show, but I could not pull myself away. Right. No, I think I got it. I, I just I I don't have time to look it up, but off the top of my head, I thought they did kind of a remake of that a few years back. But yeah, I used to love that science fiction stuff as well. Okay, uh, let's see. A couple people here. I'd love to see Seinfeld brought back. It's one of my all-time favorites. You know, I, again, I, I've said this before. I always thought Seinfeld. 
I thought it was going to be kind of a time capsule show that it wouldn't travel well moving forward. And I was completely wrong. I mean, you, and, and you could bring all those guys back and, and you could, you know, it, it's timeless and, and it would be just as good. Um, you know, no question about it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Carol in Franklin. Carol, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Carol. I'd like to see Dexter come back. Okay. He's a serial killer, for goodness sakes. <laughs> He's a vigilante serial killer. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Got it. Were you happy with the way that show ended? No, not at all. It was a terrible ending. Okay. That's always the, uh, the thanks to call. That, I, I, you know, I, I watched most of Dexter and I, I agree with you. I was kind of unsatisfied um, about that. Uh, Jeff, it might not be too manly. Huh, we don't have to be manly. I would like to see Dallas come back. Well, I, I mean, Dallas was a was a tremendous show. No question about it. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Rick in New Berlin. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, my favorite Martian from the sixties with Ray Walston, who played Uncle Martin, and uh, Bill yeah. Bixby, who played the the son, the, the nephew. Yeah, right. With the new technology, I thought it would be neat to see that. Yeah, you know, I mean, th- thanks. I was reading this thing. You know, you're talking about th- that era. I was reading this thing about um, Elizabeth Montgomery and Bewitched the other day. I don't know why I was reading this thing, but it's just it caught my attention. And, you know, the, the old Bewitched TV show, which was so big in the 60s, it ran, I think it started like in 64, probably ran to 70 or 71, something like that. And and they talked about how, like, they, they just didn't have the technology to you know, do a lot of these sort of special effects, and, and I, I wonder how like a show like that would play now, where you have all the things that you can computer generate and, and do all that type of stuff. Kathy in Waukesha, Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Kathy. Okay, TV show you'd like to see brought back? Boston Legal. Okay, uh, Denny Crane. That was the William Shatner one, right? That's that's the one. Shatner <laughs> and and uh, Raymond from the Blacklist. Right. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's you know, it's interesting. Thanks for calling. I just shows like that were just too close to what I used to do for a living, and so I it's just I, I kind of uh, I yes. So I never really watched that much, one that much, but I know you know people love that. Number of people on our text line are saying The Sopranos. Uh, there's a there's a Sopranos prequel movie that that's in the works that I think is going to look at some of the the characters you know, from like 20 or 30 years ago, I, I always thought The Sopranos would be a great show that that would have certainly deserved like the Breaking Bad or the Deadwood treatment, you know, being brought back. The problem, of course, is that the James Gandolfini, that the Tony Soprano character who was that show, he's passed away and the character um, Dominic Cianese, who played uh, uh, Cousin Jun- Uncle Junior, uh, he, he's passed away as well. Okay, a number of people are saying this. Greg in West Dallas. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Greg. I know, I know they've already had the movie and turned into a comic book actor, but I want to bring back Firefly. Okay, that's the science fiction one, right? Yeah, well, more of what we would call a space western. Okay. <laughs> I that's when how many years did that run? Because that, that's when I got to admit I, I never watched that much. Just one season, and then they canceled it because they they shut it all out of order. They didn't even show some episodes on TV because they didn't really believe in it. Okay, but it oh. got popular enough to bring a, a movie. So okay, be good enough for another whole another couple episodes. 
Well, I got to I got to tell you, Greg, I have a whole bunch of people who are suggesting that one as well. I'm sorry. I wish we had some more time. <clears throat> Let's see. Bonanza, six feet under. You know, interestingly enough, six feet under. I thought that had a really, really good ending. A lot of these shows, I don't think end well. That did. Uh, the kids are all right. Uh, the Jetsons, Sky King. We're really going back. Anyhow, just a little fun to take a walk down memory lane. Uh, you know, think about that. If you know, if, if they can bring back Breaking Bad, and if they can bring back Deadwood, at least to give some closure to the thing, what TV show would you like to see? All right, we're going to find out what Eric and Melissa and Greg have on their minds in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner.